In these two chapters, as we see um, justice being served by God, it's, uh, it's comforting. I know a lot of people in my life, Christians and otherwise, that are opposed to violence and hate it when violence comes up. And these are very violent chapters, and so will be next week. And um, wasn't wasn't a great week this week for any of us, I don't believe. Um, and had to, had to work through a lot of stuff on Thursday for me personally. Inside, I was not doing well, um, but kept it and laid it before the Lord, not before everybody else in front of me tried to anyway. A few Facebook posts, that's all. Um, but had to work through a lot of stuff. And it was, it's actually worked out really well. God has encouraged me. I, I saw a brother struggle with, and I want to start off with these two verses. Sorry, I put them out of order there, Aaron. It'll be the last two. I saw a brother struggling with the verse, Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. Not struggling with it, but wrestling with it as we should. All of scripture we need to wrestle with and get a hold of it and understand the heart of the author. It says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And, um, of course, that was probably the first thing from my mind on Thursday. <laughs> um, but, and there was a reason for that. And um, had to wrestle with it myself a little bit because, well, I know that's what it says. But I also have a second scripture in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. The same author that wrote Matthew says this, and now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. That's pretty violent. And if you look at all of Scripture, the whole of Scripture ends with great violence, great rejoicing. But the book of Revelation, chapter 6 through 19, in the end, when justice is served upon evil, there's great violence. And so you struggle with that. So what does that mean? What was Jesus getting at in Matthew? And I'm trying not to do a topical teaching here this morning or just completely lay my heart out before you. But there is around, um, and this is me now, just my opinions, and, and so you can throw them out and disregard. We'll get into God's word here in a minute. This isn't God's word, obviously. Um, but there is a, there, I wish I had a whiteboard, but there is a circle here, I would say maybe about that big, that has philosophy, um, prosperity, um, education, all the wonderful things that you enjoy in freedom and, and, and is allowed to happen in freedom and can only happen in freedom. And um, around that circle, there's a, there's a much larger circle, which is a circle of violence. It's a huge circle of violence that protects that and keeps that available. It keeps at bay evil. It keeps at bay 
Um, and, and that's that's spiritually otherwise too, not just physically. I mean, obviously, we're, I'm talking about physical. There is a protection in the layer. We, and we have that in our own towns. So, um, to make it not so much about military, think of it as the police department or, or whatever. There is a, a circle of, of potential violence of, uh, that, that would try to ruin this inner circle here. And what I've noticed, um, just casual observation, as we, as we move this circle of violence further and further away from this smaller circle that enjoys the, all the benefits of freedom, the farther away that circle gets, the more this circle in the middle doesn't appreciate that outer circle or doesn't even know it exists. Or in some cases, which we discovered last year, doesn't think it needs to exist, which is where the defunding the police comes from and all these things. There, there must be a better way. Well, the, the very idea that you can even think that or say that out loud of defunding the police or anything like that is because of this outer circle that you've forgotten about. Or that doesn't that you don't think exists, and so I, you know, you try to pull all this stuff together in my mind. I'm trying to make um, some sense of it all and trying to find the balance. On September 11th, when the World Trade Center fell with the two um, planes, that violence entered that circle, and we saw everybody understand immediately who had maybe forgotten about that circle realize how important that circle was. And there was nobody talking about defunding the police. There was nothing but memorial services and adoration and encouragement for the firefighters, the policemen, and the military that did what they needed to do and, and so on. It was a, it's only when that violent circle gets so far out of sight that people forget how important that circle is, that those are on the forefront, those on the, on the, on the lines. And I, I'm, again, I'm not just talking about physical. Spiritually speaking, there's a constant war going on, constantly. It is a constant war of good versus evil, constantly going on in, our, in ourselves, where we strive, the, flesh, the spirit strives against the flesh. Paul writes about that, Romans 7, Romans 8. But there's also, even in a, a small church like this, there's constant prayer going out. The very fact that we can sit here in this room and enjoy a, hopefully, a thorough Bible teaching, if I ever get there, right, and get off my soapbox, to enjoy a thorough Bible teaching is because much prayer and preparation and many things went into this happening. Chairs were set up. Cleaning was done. Toilet paper was replaced. Coffee was made. Worship team was practicing um, I was studying. There's a lot of things happening. Battle was being waged all week long. And believe me, it's battle because there are many things that try to pull us away from doing what needs to be done for this moment right here. It all has to happen. And so spiritually in our own lives, we have to fight. You have to fight for your time with the Lord. Fight for that quiet time. There will be many things that will try to pull you away from your quiet time. That, it's, a, it's a violent struggle spiritually. And I bring all that together, and hopefully there'll be some kind of segue here into chapter 7 of Esther, but um, those that decided to stay in this country and not go back with, um, whether that was Zerubbabel, whether that was Ezra, whether that was Nehemiah that led the people captive and, and to go back into the, uh, to the promised land, um, there is a certain sense of calm, there's a certain sense of peace and safety, that's taking place here 
to the point where there's so much peace and safety in the country that they're staying in that they decide not to go back to the promised land that their God had given them. They're staying in this place for, for whatever reason. It's only until Haman, the enemy, comes up with a, a plan to absolutely annihilate them is when violence has invaded that small circle of theirs. And now everybody's concerned. Did I make the right choice? Should I be here? I, it would have been better. I thought I was avoiding all the craziness and the violence that would take place over there in the promised land if I had stayed right here and kept my little world, you know. And there it is. It's, it's confronting them. And, and God sees that and, and raises up this Mordecai, raises up this Esther for such a time as this to protect even this moment right here. And it's going to be appreciated. It's going to be understood and, and there's going to be great violence now to push back against that evil, to push back against the enemy. I have people in my life that just would rather there not be any violence. I remember doing my aunt's funeral, um, or got to be a part of my aunt's funeral. And uh, whether they intended for me to be a part of it or not, because I showed up for the funeral, they said, oh, yeah, you're, you're one of them pastor guys. You want to do a reading or something like that? But, yeah. Okay, you're the spiritual guy in the room, you know, they pick on you to do the prayer or whatever. Um, but let's not read about it. I want you to read this. He gave me this section of Scripture, and it's this very good section of Scripture about the sacrifices and what God has done, and it really pointed to Christ and the sacrifices in the temple and all these things. And he says, but let's just avoid all the bloody animals. And it just, it just hits me there. There was this adver the aversion to, I don't want to talk about all oh, the, the violence and those poor animals and all those things. Let's just keep that out of our minds. I don't want to think about it. I'm like, those are the very things that point to what Christ would do for us. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, the bloody animal that's going to be slaughtered for the sins of the world. That's the whole point of the passage. But because of the aversion to the violence, they didn't understand that. They, they erased that. And... There are people that think that if we could just get rid of violence on our side, whatever side that might be, that there'd be no violence on the other side. That's just not the case. The entire Bible is about pushback. It's all it is. It's constant pushback against evil. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what the Holy Spirit in the church does. We are restraining Force. Now, maybe it's not physical violence, but it's spiritual violence. We are waging war through prayer. We're waging war for standing up for righteousness, for living a righteous life is an is a act of war against the enemy. And when I don't do that or those things, then I have surrendered. I have given ground. We have lost turf, basically, in our own hearts and in the hearts of this in the church and in the hearts of the world. So, <laughs> I don't know if any of that made sense, but as we go through chapter 7, 8, and next week 9 and 10, um, I hope we can appreciate the people in the story and what they're experiencing and the relief they have, especially after today, when they're able to write their own decree about those who would annihilate them or destroy them. All right, verse 1. So the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther. And on the second day at the banquet of wine, the king again said to Esther, what is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Up to half the kingdom it shall be done. It's the third time he said that. 
Now, the reason it's the third time he said that is because he's realizing more and more, this is a very, very important thing to the heart of my bride, to the heart of my queen. And he's really curious now as to what is going on that is so important that you can't spit it out, just spit it out. Um, and yet you can't walk away from it either at the same time. It's got to be said. So it's a difficult thing that you're about to ask me. I understand that. I mean, he's not a stupid man. I understand what you're trying to get across to me. It's very difficult, but I understand it's so important that it has to be done. And he's watching that struggle in his wife. He recognizes it. So he gives her this permission over and over and over again. I want you to tell me what this is. Whatever it is, it's up to half the kingdom. And that's the idea is I'm going to do whatever you ask me to do. You just need to get this out. It's, you can tell me, you know. And Queen Esther answered and said, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, hard swallow. And if it pleases the king, let my life be given me at my petition and my people at my request, for we have been sold, my people and I, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Had we been sold as male and female slaves, I have held my tongue, although the enemy could never compensate for the king's loss. I'm pleading for my life and the life of my people. If you were just selling me to be slaves, you know that? I wouldn't even wasted your time. We're okay with that. But it would have been detrimental to your kingdom if we had if we'd done that. In other words, we're a very valuable people. We're not just this group over here. We're not just uh, parasites on the, on the beautiful Persian kingdom here that you have. We're not just wasting your time. We, we produce. We bring value to this. So that's what she's trying to say to him. And that has been said against us that we need to be annihilated, to be killed, to be destroyed. And that's what I'm pleading for. So King Ahasuerus answered and said to Queen Esther, Who is he? Where is he? Who would dare presume in his heart to do such a thing? Just point me in the right direction, you know. Who would do this? I mean, he's all in. That's his way of saying it. And Esther said, The adversary, an enemy, is this wicked Haman. And there's the finger pointing, finally. We've been waiting for this. And... In my mind, I could just see him, and see him with you know, a bite of food or a drink of wine. <laughs> Maybe a drink of wine would be better spraying it over all the food. <sighs> what? You know? He had a bad day yesterday, you know, with Mordecai leading him around saying, this is the greatest guy since sliced bread. And King made him say that everywhere he went. This is the greatest guy. Oh, I'm going to kill this guy. You know, hate him. And he was just told by all of his wise advisors after they told him to go ahead and make a gallows and hang him on it, they said afterwards, oh, 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 it's Mordecai. Well, he's a Jew. You're going to be fighting against God if he's a Jew. You're not going to win against him. You've already begun to fall. And so he's like, so he goes to this party to try to forget his sorrows and to put these things behind him and to get this Mordecai out of his name. And there is Esther pointing the finger and saying, he is the man. So Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. And the king arose in his wrath from the banquet of wine and went into the palace garden. This is a shock to him. How do I react to this? But Haman stood before Queen Esther, pleading for his life, for he saw that evil was determined against him by the king. When the king returned from the palace guard to the place of the banquet of wine, Haman had fallen across the couch where Esther was. Now, I don't know what happened there. Maybe he's, you know, 
grabbing on to her, please, you know, you've got to listen to me. You've got to get, he's going to come back and he's going to kill me. And we don't know exactly what took place, but he finds himself laying on the king's wife. That's uh, not going to go well. So he comes back in, he sees him laying there and he says, will he also assault the queen while I'm in the house? It's his perception. Uh, Haman just can't win here. You know, no matter what he does, as harmless as it may have been, I'm sure it was. I'm sure he wasn't trying to assault the, the queen. I'm sure he's begging for his life. It just does nothing he does comes across well. And and this is God's justice. This is God's vengeance. It's complete. It's it's more thorough than you could imagine in your own doings, you know. How could I get back at that person? What could I do to really drive him in, you know, whatever? <laughs> And God says, leave room for me to do it. I don't want you to take vengeance on yourself. Let me do the vengeance. I want you to back off. I want you to do what you're supposed to do. I will come in and I will do this. And when God steps in to do something like this, it is complete, thorough, and total. To the point where even when he's begging for his life, it comes across wrong. As the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Everybody in the room knows what's going down. So they put a bag over his head. Now, Herbona, one of the eunuchs, said to the king, look, the gallows, (laughs) 50 cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on the king's behalf, is standing at the house of Haman. And the king said, hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's wrath subsided. There's a lot of violence going on there. I mean, it's an actual man hanging from a rope 50 feet, 75 feet high. And everybody feels better about it at this point. That's something we have to work out. Every Christian needs to work these things out. It's very important. There are things about me that people just do not like. And I understand that. Um, Part of it are character flaws. And 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 I'm I'm just picking me because... Not because not poor me, but because we all face this. There are th- certain things about all of us that certain people don't like about us. They just don't. We don't know why. They don't like the way you look. They don't like the way you act. Your bravado is different, or you're you're too timid, or you're too brash. Whatever it may be, people just don't like those qualities about you for some reason. There are qualities, and some of them are qualities, and some of them are character flaws. Um, character flaws need to be changed. Um, God needs to move in our hearts and, 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 and make us better. And, and as we allow him to do that, we will become better. We'll become more like him. Um, but some of these qualities, although ugly to other people, very useful in God's hands, very useful. Um, the very fact that Mordecai is doing what he's doing, the very fact that um, the king is doing what he's doing, or Esther is doing what she's doing. Um, who knows what was said about her as a Jewess, And those who knew she was Jewish, being the queen and not telling anybody about it, can you imagine what was probably said about her? You know, she's ashamed of her heritage, even though she's not. She's just being obedient to her her overseer, Mordecai, you know, who's asked her not to reveal that to her. But she's being obedient, and and it's perceived as uh, cowardice or or, or, uh, taking advantage of the situation. There's just uh, things that happen in people's lives we as Christians need to understand there's just, there are purposes for each one of us in the kingdom of God. There are goals and, 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 and 
good works that God has for each of us to walk in with those certain qualities and character. I was thinking about um, a, a brother, and I'm not going to say his name, but he's very mild. He's very quiet. He's very strong and steadfast, but he's very mild and very quiet. And, and sometimes I wonder as I'm talking to him what he must think of me because I'm not mild and quiet and calm and do this a lot and I'm talking to people, you know, and they're you know, settle down kind of thing. It's got to be what it is. I'm thinking that's what it is in his mind, you know. But he is perfect for what God is using him in right now. He's perfect. I would not be the guy in that role that he's serving in God's kingdom. I would not be the guy, you know. But for him, it's absolutely perfect. So I want you to know that about yourselves, first of all. Some of them are character flaws. By all means, let the Holy Spirit change you. And don't ever get to that place where you say, well, that's just the way God made me. Some of that's true. Some of that's not. But as the Holy Spirit uses you in different areas in different ways, that's amazing. That's wonderful. And, and, and know that, that God has good works for you to walk in. These violent things that are taking place, there's a lot of people that couldn't do what just was done to Haman. Couldn't stomach it. Can't imagine. Somebody pulled the lever. Somebody let the floor drop out. Somebody put the rope around his neck. Somebody let it hang. Somebody suggested it. This eunuch, you know. There's a lot of people involved here, and everybody else is going, oh, I don't know. There's some people in the crowd going, that's kind of extreme, you know. It had to happen. It needed to happen. It was very important. Isaiah 54, verse 17 says, No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me says the Lord. This is a heritage for all of us, that no weapon that's formed against us will stand. This is the perfect example of a weapon that was intended for someone who's a servant of God that got used on and the enemy that built it. It's just a perfect fulfillment of countless Psalms and countless Proverbs and this prophet, Isaiah. It's fulfilled right here. It shows God. It's not theoretical to the Lord. No, no, really. The weapons that are formed against you, they won't prosper. And when people lay traps for you, they're going to fall into them. And that's real. And it's important to see that. In chapter 8, on that day, King Ahasuerus gave Queen Esther the house of Haman. Now, there's a scripture I want to read to you really quick. Proverbs 13, 22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Good for you. But the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. That's one of these examples. This beautiful place that Haman had has now been given to Queen Esther. He's the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. So the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed Mordecai over the house of Haman. None of that would have happened if this hadn't gone down the way it went down. He is now the king's closest advisor, Mordecai is. Now Esther spoke again again to the king, fell down at his feet, and implored him with tears to counteract the evil of Haman the Agagite and the scheme which he had devised against the Jews. And the king held out the golden scepter towards Esther. So Esther arose and stood before the king and said, If it pleases the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and the thing seems right 
to the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes. Let it be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, the son of um, Hamadetha, the Agagite, which he wrote to annihilate the Jews who were in all the king's provinces. For how can I endure to see the evil that will come to my people? Or how can I endure to see the destruction of my countrymen? She's simply saying this is not complete yet. There is still an order to go kill all the Jews on this specific date that you wrote. I need you to undo that. Well, and we've gone over Persian law, Babylonian law, any of these laws back then. You can't undo. When the king says something, not even the king can revoke what he says, which causes them to be very careful about what they say. Okay, it's supposed to anyway. I can't undo it is what he's getting at, but here's what you can do. Smart man. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and Mordecai the Jew, indeed, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows because he tried to lay his hands on the Jews. You yourselves write a decree concerning the Jews as you please in the king's name and seal it with the king's signet ring. For whatever is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's signet ring, no one can revoke. I can't counteract this order but I've given the signet ring to you. You can counteract this order. He's given permission to Mordecai, a Jewish man, who is not the king, to go ahead. Now, I don't want to make too big of a jump here, but leave it to me to make too big of a jump here. We've been given a lot of authority in the church, a lot of power. Jesus has said that to us. And we call upon the name of Jesus a lot. We've been called upon to pray, to seek his face, to uh, leave room for his vengeance. A lot of scriptures come to mind, but he also gives us authority. He also gives us power. He says, I'm going to fill you with the Holy Spirit, and you're going to go out and do greater works than these. The things that you're seeing done by me, as exciting as they are, greater works will be done in, 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 in more volume and in frequency by you filled with my spirit. I want you to go out and to do these things. He's given us a signet ring, in a sense. Now, we don't have carte, carte blanche. We can't just go out and do whatever, you know, if you had enough faith of a mustard seed, you could move a mountain, right? Well, we're not out there, you know, rearranging the Rockies kind of thing. We don't have that kind of authority. But we do have authority to do the will of God in this world. We have the obligation to do the will of God in this world. We have the mandate to do the will of God in this world. God has given us that calling upon our lives. There is nobody in this world that will be doing the will of God except the church, except those who have trusted in Christ. That's our call. In a sense, we've been given a signet ring. It needs to go along with the Lord. It needs to be a part of his heart. But he's given us permission to do war, to make spiritual war out there. To come against evil. In James chapter 3, it speaks of the tongue. And it's amazing how this king's letter has lit the Persian Empire on fire because of what's said in it. And so this verse is proven by this story in the Old Testament. Even so, the tongue is a little member that boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. 
Now, the king did what he thought was best. Haman had advised him that he should write this and protect his kingdom from these terrible Jews that never fulfill the law. They never obey him. They've got their own set of laws. They're rebellious. They need to be wiped out. He did the best he could, but he was misinformed. And he wrote something that did exactly what James is talking about here. It just lit the world on fire, and it was set on fire by Satan, by, by hell. This is all part of the plan. And we have to be careful with our mouths that we're not a part of Satan's plan. Whether that's with your wife, with your husband, with your kids, with the people you love, with the people you hate, it doesn't make any difference. My tongue isn't to be used because I've given it to God as a Christian. It isn't to be used to bring about or to be set on fire by hell. And when it is, I think we need to really own it and understand that. My tongue was used by Satan in that person's life. That's a hard thing to say, and it's a hard thing to realize, but it happens. We get in the flesh. We let Satan do or whisper or whatever into our ears, and out of our mouth comes things that should have never come out of our mouths. You cannot take them back. It is scorched earth. You have, you have burnt everything your words have touched. And so James is telling the church, and I, the king is regretting what he wrote, we need to be very careful about what we do with our language and with our tongues and with our voices. Jesus was able to encourage 12 and then more to be completely different from the world around them, even though it was going to cost them their lives. Now, it's because they were born again, because they received Christ as their Lord and Savior, because they felt the weight of their sin being lifted off of their shoulders. They were able to then see how beautiful it would be if everybody knew that, if everybody had the same experience that they had, that they were once this person, and now they're this person, a completely different person. And it's because of what Christ has done for me that makes the difference between those two things. And so the whole world is set on fire, which is exactly what the leaders of the Jewish world said at the time. The whole world is set on fire by this, by this gospel. Our, our, our lives and the lives around us need to be set on fire by the gospel. There's so many people that do not have the freedom that you enjoy from your sins. They don't have the forgiveness. They're carrying that weight with them. Whether they show it or not makes no difference. They're carrying that weight, that guilt, that shame upon them. There may be a lot of smiling. There may be a lot of joking, a lot of laughing, a lot of things to cover up. There might be even self-righteous acts that they do to make sure that everybody thinks that they're okay when they're really not. That gospel, our mouths need to be used to share the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever we go, to whomever. We need to counteract what was written in haste, what was set the world on fire by Satan. This is my trying to make sense of this for you. What they're about to write is going to undo so much harm. It's going to undo and protect so many people. And we've been given that signet ring to do that. We've been given permission, the mandate by God, to go out into this world and to wage war, to push back against the guilt and the shame that the enemy, Satan, wants to put upon all of mankind. We're here to set them free and to tell them about Jesus. So the king's scribes were called at that time in the third month, which is the month of Sivan, on the 23rd day. And it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded to the Jews, the satraps, the governors, the princes of the provinces, from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces in all, 
to every province in its own script, to every people in their own language, and to the Jews in their own script and language. And he wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus, sealed it with the king's signet ring, and sent letters by couriers on horseback, riding on royal horses, bred from swift steeds. The only letter the whole world has now before this is that death awaits on this date. The next letter they're going to receive is a way out, is a way to protect themselves, is a way to avoid that moment. Here's what was written in the letters. By these letters, the, kings permitted, the king permitted the Jews who were in every city to gather together and to protect their lives, to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the forces of any people or province that would assault them, both little children and women, and to plunder their possessions. On one day in all provinces of King Ahasuerus, on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is in the month of Adar, a copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in every province and published for all people so that the Jews would be ready on that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. The couriers who rode on royal horses went out, hastened, and pressed on by the king's command, and the decree was issued in Shushan the citadel. So Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel, a blue and white, with a great crown of gold and a garment of fine linen and purple. And the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad. The Jews had light and gladness, joy and honor. And in every province and city, wherever the king's command and decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a holiday. But many of the people of the land became Jews because fear of the Jews fell upon them. Now, next week is the fulfillment. I mean, I'd love to go through 9 and 10. I, I actually have time, but I don't, I don't think we should. Um, I probably have another soapbox for next week I want to get on, so I want to make sure I hold off and, and I'm able to do that. Nothing's happened yet. There's been no war, just the threat of war. There's been no pushback, although they've been, been given permission for pushback. So there's, if you understand this, hope. There's hope. On that day where I was supposed to die, I was as good as dead as of now, according to that decree. I was as good as dead on that date. I am now no longer as good as dead. I have been given permission. I have been given the authority. I have been given by the same king that wrote that judgment against me. I've been given my freedom, my ability to, to win, to beat back all those who are enemies of mine. This is the summation of Christianity. We have an enemy who did accuse us and is the accuser of the brethren and has laid out all the charges. And for the most part, we are guilty of those things. It's not a perfect comparison, but it's close. But Jesus has stood up on our behalf and has given us freedom. He's taken it upon himself. He's given us that signet ring, the ability to fight back, to push back. We have responsibility in this world more now than ever. I, I don't know when Jesus is coming back. I, I keep doing this because I, I keep going to the Re book of Revelation. It's just a habit for me. It's like, yeah, I don't know when he's coming back. It's right here, and it's soon. I don't know where we are in here, but we're in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation right now. I know that. 
and the next chapters will follow. And when that happens, I don't know when that's going to happen. I'm never going to be the one that says this is the date, you know, because nobody knows the day. But I do know that I'm supposed to pay attention to the signs around me, that I'm supposed to be able to tell whether it's going to rain or not, so I ought to be able to tell when Jesus is coming back again. And there's storm clouds, and there's thunder, and there's lightning, and there's a strong wind, and it's increasing in intensity. Maybe it'll subside like it has in the past. And I, and I know there have been moments like this, and they've subsided. And God has given us grace and mercy for more time. But if you look at those storm clouds as birth pangs, they were strong, and then they subsided. And they got stronger, and then they have subsided. But make no mistake, eventually there's going to be one last storm cloud, one last weather front, labor pain, and that's going to be it. And I want us to be prepared for that. I want you to tell everybody you know this week about the Lord. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm not making you do that. But I, I hope we all see the urgency of it, how important it is. I don't know how much longer we have, and I don't know how much time they need to process what you're going to tell them. That's the bigger thing. I could tell everybody about the Lord, and they all may go, yeah, right, yeah. It wasn't necessarily successful. I don't know if they need a couple years to deal with it. I don't know. I know I needed 19 years. Well, I probably started listening when I was eight, you know, or nine. I need a lot of time to process and to hear this gospel over and over again before it finally penetrated my hard heart. There's just a lot of people that may be 10 years out of being believers, maybe five years out, maybe next week being believers, and you may need to be one of those voices in their lives that is breaking and is hammering against the rock of their heart, and finally it breaks, and God breaks through. You may not get the fruit. You may not get the harvest, but you're one more blow against that hard heart. You're one more voice, one more confirmation, one more encouragement towards the Lord in their life. And I hope we take advantage of every moment, as long as we breathe, to make those, take those opportunities to share with those around us. And that's where we leave off today. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for what's happened here, the hope and the joy and the celebration that's taking place in these two chapters of um, there was certain death and now there's hope. We thank you for that in our own lives, that You've given us hope. It hasn't happened. We haven't been redeemed. We've been redeemed, but we haven't been picked up yet. And, um, but we have hope, and we celebrate now in our own hearts and in our own lives of what's coming. As surely as, as we know that you died on the cross for our sins, we know that we're going to be with you forever. As surely as we know the weight of sin that's been lifted off of our backs, we know that the rest of the world needs this as well. And so, God, help us to be compassionate, empathetic, to see people, to see their hearts, to see their spirit, their soul, their their lost. (laughs) And help us to help them find you. Help us to do what you've called us to do, to be your hands and feet and your mouth, to tell people, to be your witnesses. Bless these folks as they go today. I thank you for them, Lord. Thank you for their heart for you, their love for you, their worship and adoration of you, their commitment to you, their walk with you, whatever uh, works you have for them to walk in. I pray that you make it very clear for them. I think that's what all of us want. We just want you to be very clear as to what you want us to do and what you don't want us to do. And uh, today we say we will do 
what we know you want us to do, God. So just, Lord, make it very plain and clear to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a, have a good, fruitful week.